0: turn my mic on first. That'll help. You can look with me uh, to Mark chapter 6, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. Mark 6, beginning in verse 30. Look there with me, or just listen along as I read God's word for us this morning. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them as well. And they all ate. And were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray that you'll be with us now as we consider your holy word. Jesus, we, we thank you for this great miracle that shows us and proves to us who you are as our good shepherd. And we pray for your spirit now to work in our hearts, to illuminate this passage uh, to us, to help us also apply it to our lives. Be with us now, we pray, in your holy name, amen. Well, Psalm 23, that famous, well-known, most beloved psalm in scripture, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now that verse has brought comfort to God's people for thousands of years. But why is that verse so comforting? Why why is that Psalm so comforting? It's because of that very first line. It's because the Lord is my shepherd. In Psalm twenty-three, the Lord is in all caps. That signifies that this is God's, God's holy name, His memorial name, the divine name Yahweh. And it's saying, this God, he is the shepherd. And because he's shepherd, there's nothing that I could want. Uh, David's saying there's nothing that he could lack. That's what that word means. I'm lacking in nothing. There's nothing that I need that the Lord, my shepherd, will not provide me. And in Mark's gospel, Mark, he's wanting us to be asking this question of who is Jesus. He's, He's showing us everything that Jesus teaches, everything he does, he's wanting us to ask this question, who is Jesus? So that we would come to the conclusion that Jesus, he is this Yahweh God. He is God. And he proves it again and again throughout the, the gospel, and he does so again in our passage. In this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, it's, it's a, a very well-known passage. But what stands out to us here. Is that Jesus, He is being the good shepherd. Jesus is showing us that He is the shepherd of Psalm 23. He is the compassionate shepherd. And if Jesus is your shepherd, you have everything that you need. That's what what this passage is is showing us today. But before we, we get into it, let's make sure we understand how we even got to this event. Let's look at the context just briefly. This section begins with the apostles returning. Well, where are they returning from? They're returning from the mission that Jesus had sent them out on earlier in the chapter. He had sent them out to go and to proclaim the gospel and to spread the message to everybody in all the various towns. Now they're returning to, to tell them, uh, they're returning to tell him, to tell Jesus, all that they had done, all that they taught, all, all that they had experienced. But we also, in between those two sections, we, we saw, we had a section about Herod, Uh, Herod Antipas and John the Baptist. Word had, had spread about Jesus and about his disciples to Herod. And now we get a break in the action, as it were, where Mark tells us everything about what took place with John's tragic death. And word of this would have gotten to Jesus and to his disciples. So they're exhausted from their mission. They just found out that John the Baptist, maybe their closest Friend and ally in, in, the, in the, the country at the time, he had just tragically lost his life. So they need some time away. They need some time to, to, to process this tragic news and to debrief on the mission. But it says that so many people were coming and going to Jesus and to them that they didn't even have time to eat. So the only option, they needed to get away. <laughs> Do you ever feel like you just need to get away? They needed to get away just to have some space and some time just to think, just to be alone with their own thoughts. So they hop in the boat. They're heading to this location. But the people see it. They see Jesus. They see company. They get into the boat. So they follow along on the shore. They're they're running. They're sprinting after the boat. They're tracking tracking the trajectory of it. It's like, "Eh, it's going to land over there. Let's go find him. Let's beat him there. So what does Jesus see? When they get to the shore, as they get off the boat, they see this entire, this, this huge multitude. 5,000 men, which that number does not include the women and children, so that number would have been even larger. They didn't find a desolate place where they could be alone. They found a this huge crowd waiting for them. How does Jesus respond to the crowd? That's, this is key in our passage. How does he respond Verse 34. He went ashore, he saw the great crowd, and he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. He is the good shepherd. He's the compassionate shepherd. He is your shepherd. He's always ready to meet your needs, even if. He's heading in a different direction. Even if the disciples think they have other plans, Jesus is ready to meet your needs when you go to him. He's your compassionate shepherd. And as shepherd, what we see in this passage, as a shepherd, he does three things for the people here. He does three things for us as well. He teaches the people, he leads the people, and he feeds his people. So I want to look, with our time remaining this morning, look at those three things that come right out of our text. Let's consider them now. The first thing Jesus, the compassionate shepherd, does is that he begins to teach them many things. Verse 34. That's the first thing he does. He teaches them. What are those things? We don't know. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he would have recorded, if Mark would have recorded this this sermon that he gave to this great multitude of people? But that raises some interesting questions for us when we think about it. What did Jesus teach here? Why, why isn't it included in our Bibles? Are our Bibles incomplete? We know that there's all kinds of things that Jesus taught that weren't recorded for us, things that He did that weren't written down. It raises all kinds of questions about Scripture. How can we understand? How should we understand the Word of God? What, what is it? What is this book that we have? All these questions, they, they get us to the, the topic, to the, the idea of the sufficiency of of Scripture, the Word of God in our Bibles, is it sufficient for us? Maybe you've heard us use that term maybe in Sunday school or from the pulpit or you've heard it around that Scripture is sufficient. What do we mean by that? What is Scripture, how is it sufficient? What is Scripture sufficient for? The key passage to understand this is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Listen to how Paul describes Scripture here. He says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what is Paul telling Timothy here? He's saying that all of scripture, all scripture is inspired, which is breathed out by God. That's what we mean by inspired. It's, it's God-breathed, all of it. The Bible is God's Word because in its totality, God is the ultimate source. His act of inspiration is what gives life to His Word. In other words, then, it's not just the red letters of our Bibles that are inspired. Now, maybe your Bibles have red letters. Uh, mine do, and that's fine as far as it goes. As long as we know that the red letters aren't any more inspired than all the rest. The words that Jesus himself spoke are not any more God's word than the words that, that Jesus, through his Spirit, spoke through his apostles and prophets. So all of Scripture is breathed out by God. All of Scripture is inspired. And that's true in the opposite direction as well, meaning that nothing else is inspired in the same way that Scripture is inspired. That is, only Scripture is inspired. So why don't we have Jesus, why don't we have His entire sermon here that He he would have preached to the people and the multitude that's recorded for us? Well, we don't have it because the Holy Spirit, who worked through Mark to record everything in the Gospel here, they did not include it for us. And that's okay. Because Scripture, in its totality, Scripture is sufficient. All Scripture is inspired, and all of it is sufficient for our needs. It's, it's profitable, Paul says. What is Scripture profitable for? What, it, what is it sufficient for? For teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped and complete, ready for every good work. That's what Scripture is sufficient for. Scripture is not sufficient. Scripture is not uh, the, the manual to be able to fix up uh, your car on the weekends. Scripture is not a, a guide for how you can get your MBA or, or anything else like that. That's not what Scripture is intended for. It's sufficient to show you what it means to put your faith in God and to live for Him. That's what Scripture is for. That's what makes us complete and equipped. Complete means to be well-prepared for a job at hand. It means you have all the required training that you need. And then equipped means that you have all the tools to go along with that. So you're, you're perfectly ready to do the job. And what's the job? Paul says, every good work. Everything that's required of you in this life, you are equipped to do through God's Word. So we can summarize it by saying that God's Word gives us everything we need for faith in life. So scripture, when we have the big questions of life, when we need to find the answers to life's biggest questions, usually there's, there's two big questions, right? What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? And what happens when I die? Those are, life's, those are big questions of life. Scripture gives us the answers to those. So what's what's the point of all this? What does any of this have to do with Jesus feeding the 5,000? Well, the point is that the world can give you plenty of answers to those life questions about the purpose of your life, about what happens after you die, about what the meaning of life is. The world can give you plenty of answers to those questions, but only the compassionate shepherd can teach you and give you the answers that will satisfy your soul. The good shepherd, the compassionate shepherd, Jesus, in the first place, he gives the people what they need by teaching them. He teaches the people. I'm looking around for the young, the young men in the room, especially those who were in Sunday school last Sunday. Do you remember what we talked about in that Sunday school class? The the three offices of, of Christ that he fulfills. Remember those? What was the first one we talked about? You can say it. Prophet. Exactly. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. In this first place then, we see how Christ, he's being our prophet. He's teaching us. He's showing us God's word. And so for you young men, I mean, this is true for all of us, but for for you as you're thinking through this and what it means, be a student of Jesus Christ. Give your life to Christ and to his teaching. That is what will give your life purpose. That is what will give your life meaning. That is where you'll find satisfaction. This is what the good shepherd does to us. This is the compassionate shepherd. He teaches the people. That's the first thing. The second thing that the compassionate shepherd does is he leads. That's the second thing we see Jesus do in this section. Jesus as shepherd. You know, when David, he's writing Psalm 23, he's writing about a thousand years before this event that we're reading about now. But he's writing about Jesus. He's looking ahead to Jesus in faith. He wrote about the Lord, the shepherd Lord, who would lead him and make him lie down in green pastures. That's what David writes about in Psalm 23. This passage in Mark is so beautifully constructed that the focal point that we get to is in verses 39 and 40, where Jesus instructs the people to sit down in green pastures. This is where Jesus leads the people. And this is no coincidence Jesus, the, the shepherd of Psalm 23, he leads the people to green pastures. He's, he instructs them, instructs them to sit and to lie down. So if the first point was about Jesus being the prophet, teaching his people, here we see Jesus as king, leading and ruling over his people. You see, that this is King Jesus talking here. Notice he, he's, he's bringing the people in, he, he's inviting them in, but notice that he does not just give them an invitation, but he gives them a command. It says that he commanded them to sit. He summons them, as it were, to this feast that he's about to provide for them, that, this miracle that he's about to perform. But he commands them. He, he summons them to him. And here... Mark draws such a clear distinction between King Jesus, the good king, the good shepherd, the compassionate shepherd, and King Herod, the bad king, from the passage right before it. Just consider some of the differences between Herod and King Jesus. We see that Herod, he, he throws a banquet for, his, for the rich and the, the elite of his friends. But King Jesus, he's a shepherd to all, rich or poor, everybody from the town is welcome to come to the lawn. Herod's menu uh, leads to drunkenness. But Jesus, his food is rich in nutrients that actually leads to life. And in fact, the same word, uh, the same word command that's used here is used in both accounts. Herod, he commands or he orders the execution of John the Baptist so that he might serve himself, that he might protect his own interests. But here we see King Jesus, he commands the people to be seated so that he can serve them. See, King Jesus, he's the shepherd king. He gives you his word, he gives you his commands, but these are not the commands of a harsh king. These are not the demands of a of a malevolent king that desires your servitude to make himself richer. But Jesus commands, his commands come from the tender heart of a compassionate shepherd, one who has already borne all your pain and all your grief, all your sorrow and sin. And now, to use David's language from the psalm, he's wanting to lead you in paths of righteousness. He wants to lead you down the right paths, the paths that lead to life for your own good and ultimately for his glory. For his namesake. Jesus leads. That's our shepherd king. So we talked that, about that in Sunday school as well last Sunday. If Jesus is king, if he's our shepherd king, if, if he is ruling over us, protecting us, then that should give us amazing confidence. If he is ruling over us, then is there anything that could separate us from him. This is how Paul puts it. At the end of Romans chapter 8, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he gives some examples, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. But he goes on, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the promise of King Jesus to you. There's nothing that can separate you from him and from his love. So we've seen how Jesus the shepherd, he teaches the people, he gives them his word, he leads them and guides them and rules over them as king. Finally, the third thing, he also feeds the people. The compassionate shepherd feeds his sheep. If the other two points were about Christ fulfilling his role as as, uh, prophet and king, then this section is about Christ being our priest. Now, I have another question for you, young men. I'm I'm picking on you, I'm sorry. If you had the ability to perform and the power to perform signs and wonders, which would be your go-to, your go-to miracle, your go-to act? Shooting fireballs out of your hands. Jacob's like, yeah, i would do that one. Yeah. Turning things invisible. I don't know, what, what would you do? I remember uh, during um, the lockdown several years ago now, I guess, at this point, I was in Massachusetts, and it was maybe much more lockdown than maybe it was around here. I, I don't know. Uh, but I just remember sitting in my tiny in-law apartment, and it's like, what else am I going to do except maybe try to learn some, some card tricks and uh, so I was watching tutorials on that. I never got any good at them, so don't ask me. Uh, but it would be fun to just be able to make things disappear shoo, and it's gone. I don't know how people do that, but it's, it's amazing. It's, it's really, it's cool. But notice Jesus' miracles. I mean, they're, they're truly miraculous, but they're not in the way that we might think about them. They're not theatrical. I mean, they're, they're truly wonderful, but it's not the, the fireball shooting out, from the skies. It's it's not uh, some kind of of magic show or any kind of theatrical production. But what we see is that Jesus, his miracles, they were never theatrical for the sake of the performance itself. These were spectacular miracles, but the miracles always testified directly to the message. So what, what do we mean by that? Well, what was the message? What was Jesus teaching the people that day? Well, maybe you're thinking, well, you just told us that we don't know what Jesus was teaching that day. That was your whole first point. Are you paying attention to your own sermon? No, I understand. But what is, what is Jesus' overall message? What's the message of all of Scripture? What's the message that we see throughout the Gospels in particular? Especially John's Gospel and John chapter 6. Jesus... The message is that Jesus is the bread of life. I am the bread of life. So what was the miracle? Making five loaves to feed 5,000. The miracle testifies to the message. And it's a, it's a wonderful scene. It's a, it's a great scene to put yourselves in there. It's, they, they get to this, uh, sec, uh, this, this place and there's a crowd of people everywhere. So they have an impromptu uh, all-day conference, but dinner was not included with the ticket price. So the disciples tell Jesus, hey, it's time to have these guys go and get some food. And remember, they're, they're tired and they're beat as well. They were, so they tell Jesus, let's get these guys out of here. But Jesus responds and says, no, why don't you give them something to eat? So they have a back and forth, and eventually they have the five loaves and the two fish. But notice... What the compassionate shepherd does here. Notice the verbs especially. Jesus, he takes the bread, he blesses and breaks, and then gives to the disciples. That's what he does. He blesses and breaks. When we get to Mark chapter 14, Lord willing, maybe we'll get to Mark chapter 14 one day. But when we get there, this is exactly the same thing that Jesus will do when he institutes the Lord's Supper to his disciples. It's the exact same verbs. Takes the bread, blesses, breaks, and gives to his disciples. This is what our good shepherd does for us. He feeds us exactly what we need. Now, when we think of bread, what do you usually think about? When we, when we think about bread, usually we're thinking about carbs or something that we need to try to cut out of our diet or maybe uh, cut out completely, I don't know. But bread, especially in this time period, it, it symbolized nourishment in its totality. Like, like the manna from heaven, which kept Israel alive during their wanderings in the, in the desert. It's like the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. It was their nourishment. This is what bread symbolized for the people. So how does bread, how does bread nourish us physically? How does food nourish us physically? If you're starving, you've, you haven't eaten all day. Maybe a few days and someone sets a piece of bread or some food out in front of you, fresh out of the oven, There's some, some butter there as well as some, some jelly. You're starving. Will that bread, will it nourish you while it sits there on the table? Of course not. The bread, it needs to be broken. It needs to be taken. It needs to be ingested. It needs to be eaten, chewed, broken in the mouth and digested and And all of those things, that's how food nourishes us, of, of course. So this is why Jesus, then he takes, blesses, and breaks the bread. Because without the blessing, Jesus could not have multiplied the food. And without the breaking of the bread, Jesus could not have fed the people. So here's the point. The miracle, it points us to the message And the message is this, that without the body of Jesus broken and given for you, you will never receive the spiritual nourishment that you need. That's the message. That's the point. Without Jesus' body given for you as priest over his people, you cannot be saved. Jesus knows that. Without his body on the cross, his people would be lost forever in their sin. Jesus knew what it would cost him. Jesus knew it would cost his life when he went to the cross, but he knew that without the breaking of the bread, without the giving up of himself, his people could never receive the spiritual food that they needed to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be justified. To be saved, He is the bread of life. He needs to be given for the people. When we read this story, then, of of this uh, miracle that Jesus feeds this vast multitude, it's a wonderful miracle. But if our only takeaway is to look at the power of Jesus and say, wow, he's, He's able to do all kinds of things, He can multiply bread and fish. If that's all we understand, if that's all we take away, we're missing the larger point. It's not that Jesus is only powerful to perform these miracles, but it's that Jesus is powerful to save. And he is very willing. Not only is he able, but he is willing to save at the cost of his own life, willingly giving up of his life, his own body given for us. This is Jesus. This is the compassionate shepherd, the good shepherd. In him, when you're in Christ, there is nothing that you lack in this life. So you have his word that instructs, that guides us. You, you have him as king who watches over you and protects you. You also have salvation through the sacrifice of his own body, through which he nourishes you, through which he accomplishes uh, the task of his priesthood. This once for all sacrifice of his body on the cross. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate and, and partake of this sacrament together. This is Christ's body and His blood. It was given for you. This is not only a remembrance of what He has done for us, but this is truly in a spiritual sense, in a spiritual manner. And if you're confused about what we believe about the sacrament and what goes on here, I, I encourage you to come and let's talk more about what we believe about what's happening here. But what we believe is that Christ, he is not only, we're not only remembering what Christ has done for us, but Christ himself, through his Spirit, is feeding and nourishing his people even now, even today as we partake of this meal together. He is with us in this way. Christ, our good shepherd, is nourishing and feeding his people. So we'll talk more about the table in just a moment after we sing, but again, I just want to say, That Jesus himself, he says to you, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. So as we approach the table later in the service, let's let's approach it with with eagerness. Let's approach it with excitement. Knowing that Christ, he has given us this meal for our benefit. Let's, Let's approach it believing what Christ teaches about it is true. He is our good shepherd. He is truly feeding us in this meal. So may we be nourished by it as we partake of it together. Let's pray. Jesus, we give you praise again for who you are and for what you have done for us. You are our good shepherd, our compassionate shepherd, our prophet, priest, and king. Uh, You teach us, you lead us, protect us, watch over us, and you feed us, not with food that perishes, but you feed us with that which lasts. You feed us with, uh, with your own body and blood, the bread of life, the true manna from heaven given to us. You nourish us with the rivers of living water that we drink and are never thirsty ever again. You feed us with your very self so that we might be spiritually nourished and filled, that we might be ready, complete, equipped to face everything and anything in this life. Please bless us now as we are preparing to partake of this meal together In just a few moments, we pray that all this would be done to the glory of your mighty name. Amen.